ಅಸತೋ ಮಾಸದ್ಗಮಯ ತಮಸೋ ಮಾಜ್ಯೋತಿರ್ಗಮಯ ಮೃತ್ಯೂರ್ಮಾ ಅಮೃತ ಗಮಯ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಲೀಡ್ ಅಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ದಿ ಅನ್ರಿಯಲ್ ಟು ದ ರಿಯಲ್ ಲೀಡ್ ಅಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಡಾರ್ಕ್ನೆಸ್ ಅಂಟು ಲೈಟ್ ಲೀಡ್ ಅಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಡೆತ್ ಅಂಟು ಇಮಾರ್ಟಾಲಿಟಿ ಓಂ ಪೀಸ್ 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 ರಿವಿಯಡ್ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ಯೋಗಾತ್ಮಾನಂದಜಿ ಮಹಾರಾಜ್ ಡಿಯರ್ ಫ್ರೆಂಡ್ಸ್ today's subject is the same as yesterday's subject and indeed there is only one subject here in the vedanta society that is the divinity within us that we are brahman that's what vedanta teaches us all the vedantic texts proclaim with one voice ultimately in many different ways but ultimately all they want to tell us is that that you to realize your true nature that you are one with god that you are divine and by realizing this one overcomes all sorrow and suffering in life now the original texts of vedanta are the upanishads of course the gita is another very well known text of the of the vedanta the brahma sutra forms the philosophical background uh, the backbone of the vedanta but there are many other texts and uh, um among the popular ones is this one which i am holding in my hand the panchadashi it was written by the great philosopher sage saint vidyaranya who lived some 700 years ago in the south of india in karnataka in what was at that time the vijayanagar kingdom and uh, he composed many wonderful works in advaita vedanta but he is best known for this work the 15 chapters on non duality the panchadashi now we'll just take up seven verses i'll use just seven verses from the first chapter to present the same message that we are brahman but why i like these seven verses is he uses only experience and reason experience and reason and what experience the experience we all have just now no mystic experience no practicing for 50 years till you get this or that vision what we have just now what everybody has focus on that he will lead us step by step to see what is meant by sat chit ananda brahman existence consciousness bliss and how we you i we are brahman right now whether we realize it or not whether we believe it or not that doesn't matter in fact once you walk through these gates there's no coming back once you begin to see what he is talking about you will never see yourself first and others in the same way again so let's take this journey together um these seven verses form one closely argued uh and you know an insight which is very densely packed with arguments so you have to w- walk with him you have to follow him very carefully we'll, we'll all have to take this journey together step by step at each step we have to understand what he is saying 
So we'll move carefully down this path, and it's called the razor's edge. And try to gain an understanding. What is existence consciousness bliss? What is the highest possible understanding of God that has come across, we have got in human civilization? And how are we one with that? That's what, that's no small uh, task, but that's the task we have set for ourselves this evening. How are we this eternal being consciousness bliss? So let's take this journey together. Um, he starts off by pointing to a very common experience we have. There's a third verse in the book. He says, Shabda sparshadayo vedya vaichitrya jagare prithak tato vibhakta tat samvid It's a beautiful and simple Sanskrit. What does it mean? He says, we have thousands of experiences throughout the day, each day of our lives. What experiences? We see things, we see people, we hear sounds, we taste things, food, we smell, we touch, we think, we remember, we feel, we enjoy, we suffer. These are the experiences which we have throughout the day, each day of our lives. Yes? Now he says, look at these experiences. In each of these experiences, you will find two things. One, the object of experience, what you are experiencing. When you are seeing something, you are seeing this book, for example. This book is the object of experience. When you hear the sound, you are hearing the sound of my voice. My voice is the object of your experience. If you touch the chair you are sitting on, you can feel the touch. The touch of the chair is the object of your experience. If you shut your eyes and think and feel those thoughts, feelings, emotions, memories, those are the objects of experience. And he says, note one thing. Each of these objects of experience is different from the other. Right? When you see a book and you hear my voice, voice is one thing, the book is another thing. They're different. He's just pointing out the obvious. It's so obvious that we miss it. And everything that we experience throughout the day is different from each other. Right? Even the hundreds or thousands of things we hear throughout the day, each sound is different from the other. Each person we see, each thing we see, different. Maybe we see the same thing again and again, but each time we see it, that's a different experience of seeing. Now, thousands of experiences throughout the day, each experience is different in one way, that the objects of the experience are different from each other. But there is something common to all those experiences. There is something common to all those experiences. Each of those experiences happens because of your consciousness. You are a conscious being. Because of your consciousness, you have these experiences. Is, that's actually very simple. It's like, here is a light, and the light shines here, and it illumines so many objects. The light illumines this microphone, the swami, the, the podium, the carpet, the deities there, the whole shrine. Now the swami and the podium and the microphone and the book and the carpet, they are all different from each other. But the light illumining all of them is the same. 
exactly in the same way he says the consciousness which enables to ha- us to have these thousands of experiences which go to make our day our life the consciousness is one and the same now he's telling us something new that all these experiences are strung together like pearls on the thread of one consciousness that's why you say it's my experience i have experienced it this is has to be kept in mind that there is one unbroken consciousness which is common to our experiences throughout the day thousands of experiences they are all different from each other but why are they different they are different because the objects of experience are different what we see what we hear what we think what we feel what we imagine they are all different from each other but all of that takes place in the same consciousness and that consciousness in itself is not changing the light illumines this microphone and the swami and the podium these are all different but the light unchanging is the same light which illumines everything in the same way now i have repeated this half a dozen times but because this is very important this is a foundation the building block to what he is going to say throughout the day and as the day goes on if you are in india in the afternoon you take a siesta nap or in the in america you go to sleep at night and as we go to sleep this world of experience disappears and a world of a dream world comes we dream we dream and uh, panchadashi says the next verse says tatha swapne atra vedyam tu nasthiram jagare sthiram tad bhedo tastayo samvid ekarupana bhidyate what does it mean as we go into the world of dreams we see many things in our dreams we see people in our dreams we see things and plants and the and the skies and buildings and and there are events happening in the dream some of them are good dreams some are nightmares and we are ourselves there in the dream we have forgotten that there are bodies on a bed and we are sleeping but we have we are as if we are awake you know and in the dream we have our own body though it's the whole thing is created by our mind we are also there in the dream and we experience these things the point he wants to make here is in the dream to the same consciousness continues the same consciousness which enable to ha- us to have thousands of different experiences in the waking state we get all these different experiences in the dream state they are different from each other and a dream state is different from the waking state no doubt about it but one consciousness continues unbroken in the dream state too he points out yes dreams are different from the waking state you see in advaita the dream state is frequently used to illustrate what is meant by the falsity of the world so the this waking state is also supposed to be like a dream waking state is also supposed to be like a dream now you can do this in two ways in advaita one is take a common sense approach the waking state is real the dream state is imaginary we go to sleep and imagine a lot of things uh, seems to be real at this at that time when we wake up we say oh it was a dream it's just a dream if you won a million dollars in the lottery in a dream you would get up and say oh it was just a dream too bad if you lost it all in the dream and you woke up and you said you will say oh thank god it was a dream but in both cases you know it was false it's not real it's it's not something that has really happened um 
Advaitins, non-dualists, treat dreams in two ways. One is our common sense approach. Dream is something that we imagined. And the waking world is more real than this. And Advaitins, will, non-dualists will tell us, there is something even more real than this waking world, which they call Brahman, ultimate reality, compared to which even the waking world is like a dream. I'll repeat that. Just as a dream is for us, something imagined, something not real, something not worth, worth considering, not worth getting happy over or unhappy about. In the same way, this waking world becomes a dream when we realize Brahman. Up to that time, it seems to be pretty real. That's one way of looking at it. And there is another group of Advaitins who are more um, radical, shall I say, who say at this very moment, this waking world and the dream world are equally unreal. That's another group of Advaitins. If you're interested, we are not going to walk down that path. Uh, but if you're interested, Swami Nikhilanandaji's um, Mandukya Upanishad, his collection of the Upanishads in four volumes, in the, in the volume which has the Mandukya Upanishad, he takes up this, uh, there's a note he has provided, he takes up this problem. If you say this waking world is as unreal as a dream world, you'll have many objections. Many, many objections. One of the objections Vidyarinya himself will supply here. But many, many objections. And Nikhilanji takes up each of these objections and uh, deals with it, says that uh, why this objection is not valid. In fact, there is no coherent reason to uh, hold that this waking world is any different than the dream world. Both of them are appearances, illusion. But we are not going down that path. We are taking a more common sense approach. And Vidyarinya also takes a common sense approach. He says, true, the things that you see in the dream world, the events that have happened, when you wake up, they are not there anymore. They are gone. And we realize that they are not true. So he says, things of the dream world, you know, each time you dream something, next time it's different. You can't say you're eating a pie and it's time to wake up, let me put it in the dream refrigerator. And when I wake up and I come back, I'll dream next tomorrow and I'll go and get that <coughs> dream pie and microwave it in a dream microwave and eat it up in the dream. It, will, it won't be there anymore. It's not there. Whereas the waking world is still there when you wake up. Luckily, when you wake up, the house is there and the car is there. Uh, hopefully. So, he says, yes, the dream world is more stable than the, than the, the waking world is more stable than the dream world. That's fine. But what we are trying to say here is that the same consciousness continues in the dream world too. The waking world is one thing, the dream world is another thing, but our experiences in both are enabled by the same consciousness. It's usually here that I tell the story of the Emperor Janaka, who is very famous in India. Uh, who is, he was supposed to be a philosopher king, a philosopher emperor. One day he goes to sleep in his kingdom, in his, in his empire, in the capital, and uh, suddenly he's woken up by a by the sentry in, in the in the uh, palace. And the sentry comes and says to him, Sir, danger, the, we are under attack. The, the enemy has attacked, we must go and fight. And the emperor is immediately all action, he orders his armor and his uh, bow and arrow and sword and call out the army and the generals, let's go and fight. And he goes out and there's a terrible battle which he loses, his army loses, he's captured, dragged in chains to the conqueror who says, you're an emperor, so I will not execute you, but I exile you from your empire. Your empire is part of my empire now. And poor Janaka, what can he do? 
he's wounded in the battle and he's humiliated by his loss and he's in despair. He somehow staggers to the streets of what was once his capital and people are unwilling to help him because they're terrified of the new tyrant. And somehow he makes it over the border to the next kingdom. And uh, so if he makes it over the border by walking, I don't think it could have been a very big empire. Anyhow, so he does come up to the... um, He crosses the border, terribly tired and weak and hungry, and he sees poor people being fed. There's a queue. And he stands in the queue, and he walks... As he goes to the head of the queue, it's an Indian rice and lentils, kichri, that is being served. Now when he walks up to the head of the queue, when he, it's, it's his turn, they give him a bowl and he goes up and he says, it's all finished. And he can't take it anymore. He says that uh, whatever is left, just the little stuff at the bottom of the, of the barrel, you know. So they scoop it up and give it to him. With shaking hands, he's taking his sweet lips to drink that. And a kite swoops down and knocks it from his hand and it goes rolling in the dust. And the emperor collapses there on the dust. He can't take it anymore. And... Uh, in Hindi, the way I had heard the story, in Hindi they said, ha ha kar karte vya. Now you must understand this. In Hindi, ha ha means exactly the opposite of what it means in English. In English, ha ha is, you're laughing. In Hindi it means alas. So, he collapses saying alas. And sits up in his bed, his heart pounding and sweating. In his palace. At that point, we would have said, Oh, it was a dream, a nightmare. Thank God. But he was a philosopher. So he sits up on the bed and he says, Was that true or is this true? Was that true or is this true? It could very well be that I actually, that is true and I fainted and I'm dreaming this. Or maybe that I was dreaming that and this is true. I've woken up from a dream. Was that true? Is this true? And the sentry comes in. Sir, you shouted. Is anything wrong, sir? Was that true or is this true? Sentry, you can imagine, he scratches his head, he retreats and he calls the queen and the queen says, what's up with the old man now? And he says, what's wrong with you? Was that true or is this true? The queen is worried, she calls the doctor and the doctor comes and takes the pulse, sir, oh emperor, what ails you? Is some, what, is, what, what, what troubles you? Was that true or is this true? And that goes on. Next day the news has spread throughout the capital that the king has, the emperor has lost his marbles. And the great philosopher, sage, Ashtavakra is visiting the kingdom. And as he walks in through the, through the marketplace, people are talking about how the king has, the emperor has lost his marbles and he just keeps sitting there and saying, is that true? Was that true or is this true? And they don't know what he's talking about. And now he's a great sage, Ashtavakra, so he knows. And he says, I'll pay Janaka, my friend, a visit. And he goes to the court and he sees the emperor sitting on in all his pomp and glory, surrounded by the queen and the generals and the ministers and the soldiers and everything. And you can imagine people walking up to him with the, with the papers of the day files to be signed. And he says, was that true or is this true? And nothing is getting done. And they are all puzzled. They're scratching their heads. What do we do? And uh, the sage Ashtavakra goes up to the emperor and says, oh emperor, how are you today? And the emperor says, was that true or is this true? And the sage says, he's of course he knows what is there in the emperor's mind. So he says, oh emperor, when you were rolling in the dust in despair and defeat and humiliation and having lost the kingdom to your the empire to your enemy, was this power and pomp and glory there at that time? 
He says, no. And right now you are sitting here surrounded by your queen and generals and army and everything. And everything is safe and secure and wonderful. All the defeat and despair and humiliation, are they here now? He says, no. When emperor, neither that was true nor this is true. Remember, he is a philosopher. He is horrified at this. He says, then is nothing true? Is all empty? Is all void? Is all false? Is it all false? Then the sage says, just a moment, emperor. When you experience that, that was false. But when you experience that, that humiliation, defeat, disaster, were you there? Did you experience it or not? Yes. And right now, this may be false, but you are experiencing it right now, is it not? Yes, I can't deny I'm experiencing it. So you experience that and you are experiencing it now. Neither that is true nor this is true, but you are true. What do you mean by that you are true? The same consciousness which is experiencing the waking state in the, in the emperor's court. The same consciousness was experiencing all that in the dream state. These states come and go. These states are temporary. They are appearances. But the consciousness in which they appear, that's not temporary. That continues. The experience are different from each other. The things they experience are different from each other. But the consciousness is one and the same. Samvit is the term used by Vidyaranya for consciousness. Samvit, the consciousness continues unbroken. But you will say, aha, next when he goes into deep sleep and does not experience anything at all, that's the end of your continuous consciousness. So that's it. Consciousness is switched off then. Vidyaranya anticipates our question. 700 years ago, the very next verse answers this question. What happens in deep sleep when we do not experience anything? So where is that continuous con- consciousness? He says, Supto thetasya saushupta tamo bodho bhavet smritihi sacha avabuddha vishaya avabuddham tattadatamaha He says, when you wake up from deep sleep, when you wake up from deep sleep, we say, we wake up and we say, I slept like a log, I did not experience anything. I did not know anything. Blankness. But that blankness, we experienced. I was saying yesterday, like a little child, you know, when, when as little kids we used to go to sleep and maybe pull the comforter over our heads and open our eyes and see blank darkness that was fun but we were seeing darkness in a, in a certain certain way we were seeing actually what were we seeing nothing it's blank it's dark in the same way they say in deep sleep if you did not experience deep sleep what would have happened we would have said upon waking up i was awake i went to sleep i dreamt and i'm awake again but what do we actually say i was awake I went to sleep, I dreamt and there was a period when there was nothing. And I am awake now. That nothing, that sushupti, deep sleep. The Sanskrit word is deep sleep, sushupti, dreamless sleep. That has been experienced. The absence of experiences is also an experience. When the light illumines this and all of us are sitting here, the light illumines all of us sitting here. Very soon, within a few hours, this hall will be blank. It will be empty. We would have all gone. 
And the light, if it keeps on shining, it will illumine an empty hall. So it illumines the presence and also the absence of persons. In the same way, in deep sleep, consciousness illumines the absence of objects of consciousness. Let me repeat that. Consciousness illumines the absence of objects of consciousness. In the Institute of Culture in Kolkata, in Gold Park, we had a series of seminars on consciousness, consciousness studies. Now, philosophers and neuroscientists, now once it came to a head, one of the philosophers uh, asked the neuroscientist, who was a neuroscientist from England, uh, Professor, how would you define deep sleep? In deep sleep, is there consciousness, according to neuroscience? In deep sleep, is is there consciousness? And the neuroscientist said, well, the way we understand deep sleep, in deep sleep there is no consciousness. It's an unconscious state. And the philosopher who was a philosopher of Sankhya philosophy, Indian Sankhya philosophy, and the philosopher was an American, Professor Larson. (laughs) He said, well, according to Indian philosophy, at least some of the Indian philosophies, in deep sleep there is only consciousness. Look at the two positions. In deep sleep there is no consciousness. In deep sleep there is only consciousness. Approaching it from an objective point of view, approaching it from a subjective point of view. What do you mean there was only consciousness? There was consciousness without anything to be aware of. Hence we get an experience of nothing. Right? When you have light without anything to reflect from, you will not even see the light. In deep space, right now, when the sun's light is streaming through space to the earth, we see the light here because it's reflected reflected by the atmosphere. But in deep space it seems to be black. But it's full of light. Because the light from the sun is coming to the earth. In fact, if a meteor, meteor passes through that, a comet passes through that, it shines in that light. If a satellite passes through that, it shines in that light. So light is there in deep space. Just that there's nothing to reflect that light from. In the same way, they claim that in our deep, in our deep sleep, That same consciousness continues, but there is no object for it to be aware of. And hence, we do not have a conscious experience. Our experience is of blankness. We do not even experience that I am experiencing blankness. If you say I am experiencing blankness, then you are not sleeping. (laughs) Sleeping is, mind has shut down. The mind is not shining in consciousness anymore. So, in deep sleep, that that consciousness continues. Vidyarnya Swami says, Sabodho Vishayad Bhinna Nabodhat Swapna Bodhavat. That consciousness is different from its object. What is the object of consciousness in deep sleep? Blankness, absence, emptiness. But that consciousness is not different from the consciousness which was there in dream, the consciousness which is there in the waking state. It's one consciousness, he says. Evam sthana traipyeka samviddadvaddinantare. What does that mean? Hence, in the three states of consciousness which we all experience every day of our lives, there is one unbroken consciousness. Thoughts come and go. Remember, I'm not talking about a thought, a feeling, or an idea. Thoughts come and go. Even the I thought, I. That also comes and goes. In deep sleep, there is no I thought. But consciousness continues 
unbroken in these three states. That's the claim. And that's just the story of one day. Next day, Tadvat Dinantare. Next day, it's the same story. Waking, dream, deep sleep. Next day, waking, dream, deep sleep. And day after day, this continues. Yes, there's a question. Yeah. That's what they would claim because if a person comes out of coma, what would that person um, report? There was a blankness. I did not know anything. It's something like deep sleep. Like a person, for example, who's coming out of unconsciousness, so called, you know, you knock him, knock a person on the head or feel false faints. The report is something like a deep sleep. No object of consciousness. You see, why the question arises is because our point of view, from a scientific point of view, so far the idea is consciousness is like an epiphenomenon generated by the brain. So the, look at the question, the words you used. If there is no brain activity, and remember, even in coma there is some brain activity, depending on type of coma. I don't know so much, the doctors will tell us there are different grades of coma. In some um, types of coma, there is some brain activity. It's not completely brain dead. person would die then. Um, so, uh, at, at, we use this reductive approach. You know, you are saying that if there is no brain activity, is there consciousness? Which means the implicit assumption in your question is consciousness is something produced by brain activity. That's the modern point of view. Though there is, it's not yet a done deal, it's not yet concluded, but Vedanta does not agree with it. According to Vedanta, consciousness functions through the brain, the mind functions through the brain, consciousness is fundamental. Consciousness is not an emergent property or it's not something that, that can be reduced to matter. It's not something that science would agree with. But right now, we are with Advaita Vedanta and they say that consciousness is continuous and unchanging. It only works through our body-mind system. Um, this is the story of our day and our days. This is our life. Waking, dream, deep sleep, many, many experiences or the absence of experiences, but consciousness one and constant. Now, let's go further. The next verse is, is very beautiful. One of the most inspiring verses I've read. It says, Masabda Yuga Kalpeshu Gatagamyeshu Nekada no deti nastametyeka samvid esha swayam prabha This self-effulgent consciousness, this sun of consciousness, which burns bright within us. Months roll by. Years roll by. Lifetimes roll by. The body also dies. See, the body also dies. Maybe we get other bodies, other lives. And he says, yuga and kalpa. The Hindus have a tremendous cosmic uh, cycle, you know, of millions and billions of years. So m- the eons roll by, the yugas roll by. This consciousness, this sun of consciousness, which is burning, which is burning bright right now within us, neither rises nor sets. It goes on shining. Even the universe may disappear into cosmic dissolution. Consciousness is still the witness of the dissolution of the universe. And that consciousness continues within us. Um, would you hold the question till end of the talk? Because now we are we are run, we'll be running short of time. 
Um, so this is con- this continuous consciousness, one unchanging consciousness, and this is what we are. Not the body; it comes and goes. Not even the mind; it changes all the time. We are this consciousness right now in association with this body and mind. So this one unchanging, immortal consciousness, which neither increases nor decreases. You see, why does it not increase or decrease? Sometimes I feel more conscious, sometimes I feel less conscious. I take a cup of coffee, I feel more conscious. Well, you feel more conscious and less conscious. According to Vedanta, that's because of the mind. That's because of the mind. Sometimes the mind is more alert and it channels consciousness better. It reflects consciousness better. Sometimes the mind is like a mirror. A mirror which is dirty and foggy will give a poor reflection. Polish the mirror, it will give a better reflection. But that which is being reflected is exactly the same. It's not affected by the nature of the mirror. In the same way, our minds sometimes, they reflect consciousness. We feel our consciousness. Right now we feel conscious. We feel aware. This consciousness is a reflection of the pure consciousness we are talking about in our minds. Depending on our minds, we feel more conscious or less conscious. That consciousness in itself neither increases nor decreases. We are that immortal, unchanging consciousness. Now, very quickly, I will introduce you to a little bit of thinking which is implicit here. This unchanging consciousness is called in Vedanta, Chit, pure consciousness. This immortal, unchanging consciousness which functions through this body and mind, but which is not part of the body and mind, which is not produced by the brain, that is chit. So we are pure consciousness, chit. Now, something Im- implicit has happened here. Which Let me just make it explicit. I'll give you an example. When you boil vegetables, the vegetables are hot. The vegetables are hot. When you cook it, boil it. Now, the, does the heat belong to the vegetables? No. The heat does not belong to the vegetables. It's the boiling water which transfers heat into the vegetables and which cooks them. Because you know that the, the heat does not belong to the vegetables because the vegetables were cool, were cold when they were in the refrigerator. And when you serve them after some time, they'll become cold again. It does not have heat of its own. It's been borrowed from the boiling water in which you put them. Does the boiling water have heat of its own? No. It's borrowed it from the hot pan in which you were boiling the vegetables. Does the hot pan, does it have heat of its own? No. It's borrowed it from the fire beneath. And the the proof of that is, the pan by itself is cold. And after some time it becomes cold again. The water becomes cold again. The vegetable becomes cold again. Now the fire which has given, from which they have borrowed their heat, does it have heat of its own? Yes. Because the fire, as long as it burns, is always hot. It's a common sense example I'm giving. The fire, as long as it's there, it's always hot. Fire is always hot, generally. That's how we understand it. Now, note one thing. If a property is borrowed, it will come and go, like heat. If the property is not borrowed, it's intrinsic to that thing, it will stay, as long as the thing stays. Just as the heat was borrowed, it came and it went. It has to be borrowed from something. But the one from which, which it was borrowed, it, if it has heat all the time, then heat is an intrinsic part of being fire. Fire, we think of fire with heat. Now, let me ask a question. Existence. What would happen 
if existence is borrowed and what would happen if existence is intrinsic? If you borrow heat, it will come and go. If you borrow existence, it will come and go. If some existence comes and goes, what happens to the thing? It becomes temporary, transient. It is created and it's destroyed. When it gets existence, you say it has been created. And just a fancy way of saying it has come into being. And when it loses existence, it's just a fancy way of saying it dies or it's destroyed. So things which borrow existence will also lose existence. They come into existence and they go out of existence. It's a new way of thinking about existence. But now think about something that never, uh, that, that does not borrow existence. That is existence as an intrinsic characteristic. What will happen to it? Eternal, yes. It will never lose existence. It will never come into existence, never go out of existence. Do you understand this logic? You follow this logic? If, if it does, it has not borrowed it, it belongs to it, it's intrinsic, it will never lose it. If existence is intrinsic to something, that thing becomes immortal, unchanging. Never coming into being, never losing its being. Now look at this consciousness which we were talking about. Immortal, unchanging consciousness. The son of consciousness neither rises nor sets. Immortal and unchanging. Hence, existence is intrinsic to this immortal consciousness. Do you understand the logic here? Because it is not coming into being and going out of being. Not being created, not being destroyed. And hence, existence, it's not getting existence or losing existence. In that case, existence must be intrinsic to this pure consciousness. In Sanskrit, Sat and Chit are the same thing. Let me repeat that. Sat and Chit are the same thing. We who are immortal consciousness according to this, we are also immortal being. Pure existence. Immortal being. Sat. So far, what have we got? The results so far? We are pure consciousness and pure being. Yesterday, somebody was asking, what about joy, bliss, ananda? Ananda is a Sanskrit word for bliss. Don't you say Brahman is Sat, Chit, Ananda? We didn't discuss it yesterday. Well, here it comes. And a very unique way of discussing Ananda. The goal is to show what this pure bliss is and how we are that pure bliss. The verse goes like this. Yamatma Parananda Paraprema-spadam yataha Mana Bhuvam Bhuyasam Mana bhuvam hi bhuyasam iti prematmanikshate. Very interesting logic. We don't think about it in this way. You must follow this. What he says here is this very self, which is, we already know it is pure existence and pure consciousness. This very self is also pure bliss. Why? The logic is this. Whatever we like, we like to get it. If we get it, if we like it, we like to keep it. The moment we dislike it, we like to get rid of it. Something we do not like, we would like to not have it, or if it has come, get rid of it as soon as possible. And if you like something, you get it, and then you suddenly change your mind, it happens. It happens with gadgets, it happens with uh, houses, with cars, and husbands and wives also. <laughs> so you, you want to change it. You want to get rid of it. So, the logic is this. If I like something, I'll try to get it. If I get it, I'd like to keep it. If I don't like something, I don't want it. 
And if I've already got it, I would like to get rid of it. Now, if there is something that I never ever want to get rid of, then it is a source of constant happiness, liking for me. And he says, the self, I myself, I never say, let me not be. I want to be. Never ever do I say, let me not be. So I want to be. And hence, it shows that I always like myself. I want to have it. That which, which I want to maintain all the time is something that I want to, that I like, which is a source of happiness to me constantly. Immediately, there should have been hands going up. What about suicide? I hate myself. I don't want to live. Well, in each of these cases, you will see the person who is trying to commit suicide hates something about his or her life. Maybe the debt is too much. Maybe the pressure of work is too much. Maybe I am sick. I've got an illness which is painful and incurable. Maybe I am lonely. Maybe my life has no meaning. I want to get rid of that pain. Tell the person with unbearable debt that your debt is absolved. Then he does not want death anymore. The moment you forgive the debt, then there's no problem. I'd like to go on living. Moment you cure the unbearable pain of the disease, that person would like to go on living. Moment the person who feels life is meaningless has got some purpose and meaning in life would like to go on living. Hence, nobody really wants to destroy oneself. Some conditions may force a person in desperation to escape from those conditions to end this particular life. But the self itself, nobody wants to destroy. If I don't want to destroy, if I don't want to give up the self, then the self must be a source of permanent liking. If I dislike, I want to give it up. If I like, I want to keep it. I want to keep it forever means I like it forever. What do I like? Usually things which give me happiness. What do I dislike? Usually things which give me unhappiness. If I like the self so much that I want to keep it forever, it's forever a source of happiness for me. This is the logic. (laughs) We don't think about it this way normally. Think about it. Now, he has just proved the self is a source of permanent happiness. All the time. That's why we want want to live all the time or we want to be. We never say, the Sanskrit means, nobody ever says, let me not be. Everybody says, bhuyasam, let me be. This shows... I like myself. I like myself means I am a source of happiness to myself. Because what I what I like that which is a source of happiness. So it, sh- it shows that I am a source of permanent happiness for myself. Now one more thing. Highest happiness. Bliss is not only permanent but also highest happiness. How am I the source of the highest happiness? The next verse talks about that. Another very interesting piece of reasoning. It is coming up now. It says, Tat premat yatra nanyartham atmanaha ata tat paramam tena paramananda tatmanaha. He says, That love which we have for, you see, in the world he says, we love some things. Some things we love more, some things we love less. Now he says, Let's take an example. A mother, child, and the child's toys. And the mother likes the toys, loves the, chi- the child's toys too, because they are her child's, her son's or daughter's toys. 
Now the mother loves the toys, loves the child too. Whom does she love more? Obviously, there should be a more confident answer. <laughs> Obviously, the mother loves the child more. And in fact, she loves the toys for the sake of the child. If they were not her child's toys, she has no particular interest in those toys. So when you love something for the sake of another thing, that other thing is loved more than this thing. When the child is, when the toys are loved for the sake of the child, the child is loved more and the toys are loved less. Right? And then he comes to the conclusion. Everything is loved for the sake of the self. The self is not loved for the sake of anything else. Everything that you love in the world. Why do I uh, do this job? I love my job. Why do you do the job? I love it. You love it. Suppose you don't get paid for it. No, then I won't do it. (laughs) So you're doing the job. You love the job, but you love the money more. Right? So I was coming by Southwest. And they make these announcements, funny announcements, but they're, they're very humorous. So it says, and their, their motto is, we love you. And they play on that uh, humor sometimes. Uh, the captain announces, uh, while we getting off the plane, he says that, so thank you for flying Southwest, and remember, we love you, and we love your money more. <laughs> so do fly with us again. So, what you love for the sake of another, that one you love more than this one. Everything is loved for the sake of the self. You love the job, but for the sake of the money. Okay, so you love the money more. Well, I'll give you all the money, but you can't spend it. No, 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 no. I want to spend the money. That's why I need the money. Oh, so you love the things which you can buy with the money. Yeah, that's right. But, okay, you can get all those things, but you will not be allowed to use them. No, 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 no. I need it for my family. So... And ultimately the family also is bent, is there because it makes you happy. Even the most altruistic person who is helping the poor and the sick and the homeless, I'm not doing it for myself, I'm doing it for others. You're doing it for others, does it make you happy to do it for others? Yeah, it does. So ultimately that person is wise, is doing it in a way which will make himself more happy. But still the person is doing it for the happiness of the self. So ultimately he says, Everything is done for the happiness of the self. And the self is not meant for anything else. If everything is done, everything is loved for the sake of the self, and the self is not loved for the sake of anything else, in that case, which is the source of greatest happiness? Remember, that which is loved for the sake of another is loved less, and that other one is loved more. Everything is loved for the sake of the self, which is loved most, the self. Is there anything which is loved more than the self? Then you would love the self for the sake of that. No. There's nothing in this universe. And hence he says, the self is the uh, is the locus of the greatest love. And the greatest love can be there only when we get the greatest happiness. So the self is the source of the greatest happiness and the self in the earlier verse we saw is the source of the of permanent happiness. This permanent happiness Unchanging ultimate happiness is called Ananda. And hence we see we are pure consciousness, Chit. Pure existence, Sat. Pure bliss, Ananda. The next verse says this, brings it to a neat uh, end. It says, Itham Satchit Parananda Atma Yuktya Tathavidham Param Brahma Tayosh Chaityam 
ಶ್ರುತ್ಯಾಂತೇಶೋಪದಿಶ್ಯತೆ ಈ ಸೇಸ್ ವಾಟ್ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ವಿ ಡನ್ ಸೋ ಫಾರ್ ವಿ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಸೋ ಫಾರ್ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಲುಕ್ಡ್ ಅಟ್ ಅವರ್ ಎಕ್ಸ್ಪೀರಿಯನ್ಸ್ ವಾಟ್ ಎಕ್ಸ್ಪೀರಿಯನ್ಸ್ ಕಾಮನ್ ಎಕ್ಸ್ಪೀರಿಯನ್ಸ್ ನಾಟ್ ಎನಿಥಿಂಗ್ ಮಿಸ್ಟಿಕಲ್ ನಾಟ್ ಎನಿಥಿಂಗ್ ವೆರಿ ಸ್ಪಿರಿಚುವಲ್ ಆರ್ ಪ್ರೊಫೌಂಡ್ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಅವರ್ ಕಾಮನ್ ಎಕ್ಸ್ಪೀರಿಯನ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ವಿ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಕಮ್ ಟು ಸೀ ದಟ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಪ್ಯೂರ್ ಎಕ್ಸಿಸ್ಟೆನ್ಸ್ ಪ್ಯೂರ್ ಕಾನ್ಷಿಯಸ್ನೆಸ್ ಪ್ಯೂರ್ ಬ್ಲೆಸ್ ಸತ್ ಚಿತ್ ಆನಂದ ಆಸ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ but not as we know ourselves we know ourselves to be individual human beings but as existence consciousness bliss we are that already we have come to know ourselves as that through this process now he says open the vedanta book open the vedanta book when I mean, you open the open the vedanta book it tells you brahman is sat chit ananda the ultimate reality is sat chit ananda existence consciousness bliss isn't it that's what we have been hearing in the vedanta society all along brahman the ultimate reality god is existence consciousness bliss but then you go wait a minute i am existence consciousness bliss you are saying the ultimate reality is existence consciousness bliss in that case i am that the verse says yes vedanta tells you that thou art tayoscha aikyam that brahman which the books talk about which the upanishads talk about that's exactly what you have arrived at by looking at your own experience and reasoning vichara by reasoning about it what we arrived at through pure experience and reason that we are existence consciousness bliss really speaking that existence consciousness bliss is just called brahman god in the scriptures you and that brahman are one and the same reality and i think i've done it in fifth with 5 minutes to go <laughs> thank you very much thank you this spontaneous applause shows how wonderful the lecture was normally uh, at the end of the sunday service talk and no applause is and uh, we did not tell oh come on applaud without that spontaneously it came uh, wonderful thank you very much this uh, is uh, a topic that is constantly discussed in vedanta the speciality of today's this wonderful talk was that he presented sarvapriyananda presented it on the basis of our everyday experience and using the tool of logic which we commonly use so therefore uh, it is what he discussed today can really mean a lot to us it is uh, doesn't depend on some theology it doesn't depend on a sacred book it doesn't depend on belief in some god somewhere no it is this is just analysis of our daily experience and based on pure logic the way he treated just marvelous friends excellent and uh, well uh, i know many of you will have some questions tomorrow uh, there is going to be a purely question answer session at 7:30 pm so uh immediately after our aarti and a little meditation 7:30 pm uh, he will be taking questions and today uh in a few minutes we will have aarti 
and then after arati there is the music concert by as uh, given by sandeep ghosh accompanied by uh, ravi torvi uh, he is right sitting there and uh, uh, on